So we're preaching a series of messages that we've called Everyday Gospel, and we're trying to focus on the fact that grace, which we've defined over the weeks, uh, is able to transform the mundane moments of our life. And I would want to call your attention today to the scripture that we read at the very beginning, which was a scene in heaven. And this everyday gospel, this trust in Jesus Christ, if you have that, it means that you're going to a banquet. And that vision that was seen of what happens when Christ returns is described in the book of Revelation as a wedding feast. It's the wedding supper of the Lamb. And Isaiah tells us that it is a banquet with aged meats and fine wines. It's a glorious, wonderful place because after Christ returns and he calls his people into this banquet house, there's no more sin, no more brokenness, no more death and suffering. And so those of you introverts out there, at that banquet, you don't have to worry about making conversation. Like all the awkwardness, all the sin is gone. You don't, you're not going to sit beside somebody who's a bore. And nobody's going to drink too much. Everything's going to be good there. That is what is, is coming. And so that everyday gospel, making us look forward to this wedding feast, this feast of joy, transforms everything. It casts a certain light on our political concerns, our cultural concerns, our personal concerns, because it gives us a trajectory to the end. And one thing that I want to submit to you today that we're going to focus on is that if you are in Christ, you are the bearer of the invitations to that banquet. You and I have the joy and privilege of going about saying, would you like to go to the wedding feast of the Lamb? A place of joy, a place where there's no sin or death or suffering. We're going to have a big feast there. And so today, we want to really look at our, our own situation ourselves and go, have I lost the joy of this? Have I, in unbelief, and concern over all the mundane things that get in front of me, lost the wonder of the gospel bringing me to a wedding feast. And the good news that is to those who are suffering without hope. And so to do that today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this, that God, the living God, sincerely and in love invites all people everywhere to turn to him and be saved. Theologians historically have called this the general call of the gospel. And we'll come back to this in a few minutes. Then we want to see how that general call of the gospel to turn to Christ and be saved becomes effectual to actually give life to dead sinners. And that's what theologians call effectual calling. So your two big categories for the, the, the message today are general calling and effectual calling. And we're going to just define what we mean by those. Let's, let's start then with general calling. The texts are on page 12 in your worship guide, and they'll come up. We're going to look at Isaiah 45. And just to put this in context, I think Keith mentioned Abraham earlier 1,800 years before Jesus came, God said to Abraham, all the nations on earth will be blessed through you. 
And then 700 years before Jesus came, Isaiah picks up the same thread, that the good news was not just for Israel, it was to go to all the nations. And so this biblical theme runs all the way through, and this is what Isaiah says. He says, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. And I call your attention to this, that this general call of the gospel is both a command. Most evangelical believers in America don't recognize this. God's not begging anybody to believe. He's commanding, turn, turn to Christ and be saved, all you ends of the earth. But it's also a gentle and loving invitation that comes from a heart of compassion and love. So it's both command and invitation. And look what he says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the apostle Peter. People were challenging him. You said Jesus is coming back. Where is he? And Peter says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing, and, and this could be, be translated not willing, that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so you really get a glimpse here into the heart of the Father for all the nations everywhere. Jesus really meant it when he said, God so loves the world. And the world in the Gospel of John almost universally means rebellious sinners in their rebellion against God. That God loves them so much that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish, the same language, but have everlasting life. That God really means that he loves sinners. Now, we are looking here at Isaiah, and we're looking at 2 Peter, but Jesus already taught this idea, this concept of general calling in the Gospels in two different places, both in Luke and in Matthew. And this is what he said. He said, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is like a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. See, this wedding feast theme keeps going through there. And he said to his servants, servants, go out into the city and tell people that there's going to be a wedding feast for my son. Usually these invitations were done in two stages because you didn't have a caterer. You, you tell people it's coming, the feast is coming, and then he sent out another batch of servants. And they said, hey, he's killed. The king has killed his fattened calf and everything's prepared. Come to the banquet. And they all alike refused. They all alike refused. One said, I have business to attend to. Another said, I have to go take care of my, my field, my farm. And, and Jesus ups the ante in, in the book of Matthew, his recording of that one. He says, some of those servants that, they, they, that he sent, that God sent, some they seized and beat, and others they killed. And so, brothers and sisters, this is our task. We get to be the servants who carry the invitations. This is the picture of the church between the time of Christ's resurrection and his return, going to the nations, 
sometimes opposed and persecuted, to issue the love of God generating an invitation to come to the banquet, the wedding feast of the Son. Now, in the last two weeks, we've also said that God has to act in dead sinners, and it's by His choice that He raises some, He enables them to respond, and others not. And sometimes people have taken that to sort of gut or undermine the affections, the emotional side of the Lord, that it's a sincere and loving offer of the gospel. So I'm going to call your attention to this fact. Jesus knew for 100% sure that he was going to be rejected in Jerusalem, that he was going to be handed over to the teachers of the law and the chief priests, and that he was going to die, he was going to be crucified and buried and raised to life, providing salvation for the sins of his people. He knew all that was going to happen. Peter on the day of Pentecost said that this happened according to the set plan and predetermined foreknowledge of God. It was a done deal, right? It's sovereign. It was, it was sovereignly determined by God that there was going to be rejection in that time so that the work of Christ could be accomplished. Well, what was Jesus' posture towards Jerusalem? Knowing the sovereignty of God. Listen to Luke 13:34. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed. And this word for longing is the same word as wishing or willing. How I've willed, how I wanted. Gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. I was willing, but you refused. And so the weight of the refusal of the free offer of the gospel or the general call of the gospel falls on the sinner who refuses. That's the nature of this biblical picture. And so what will we do with that? But the one thing that I want to say here is to you who believe, are you experiencing and tasting the love of God for you and the love of God for sinners around you? Does God really, really love your political enemies? Do you love them? Would you serve them? If we don't believe that, that God loves the people around us, how can we be on mission? So what do you do if that's convicting to you? Well, you go and fall on your face before Christ and say, Lord, as we've already confessed, forgive me. Forgive me for my proud hatred of other people. Forgive me for, for not loving people who don't look like me, who aren't of the same socioeconomic strata as me. Forgive me for avoiding my neighbors. God, I need, I really need renewal in your love. And Jesus says, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink, the one who believes in me. For from within him will flow rivers of living water. God can give you, by the Holy Spirit, his love for the people around you. 
He really loves sinners like you and me. And he really does give a free, full offer of pardon in the gospel. But Christ was crucified, buried, and raised to life. And so for those of you who are either online or here today, and you know that you haven't believed this, are you the person who refused this gracious offer of the king to invite you to his banquet, to the wedding feast of his son? Will you refuse? God have mercy on you. If you refuse, it's on you. You've heard the free offer of the gospel. So really with tears, we say believe. Believe on Christ and be saved. Don't refuse. What's the, what, what is it out there that's so important that you couldn't humble yourself and receive and rest on Christ as Savior? Do you see this as the mission of the church? We, we have great erudite arguments about the mission of the church. And the church has a lot of facets we're supposed to teach. We're supposed to comfort one another. All kinds of things like this. But the fundamental mission of the church is that the gospel has to go to the nations. Turn to me, all you ends of the earth, and be saved. So, so Caroline is in line with that. When you walk across the street to your neighbor with gospel intentions to love them, you're in line with what God's doing in history. Where is history going? History is going to the wedding feast of the Lamb. Where are you going? Where am I going? Are we going where God's going or are we going somewhere else? He's in the business right now of calling his people from among the nations and he has entrusted that to you and to me. Angels will not do it. Angels will not do it. He has entrusted this general call of the gospel to the church. And he's given that as a privilege and a joy. Don't be browbeaten by this. Don't hide your tail between your legs. Lift up your head and say, Lord, thank you for the joy. Thank you for the privilege. I get to carry the invitation to the wedding feast of the Lamb to all my friends and neighbors. I have this privilege. I have this joy. So then what you see, Jesus says at the end of that parable, many are called, but few are chosen. That what has to happen then, this general call of the gospel has to become effectual or it has to work in those whom God is saving. And how does that happen? It happens by the word of God contained in the gospel and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and he takes this message of Christ crucified and raised and he gives the sinner, the dead sinner, a new heart a new mind, so that they rise and say, I believe. Now, you might say to yourself, how can that be? How is it that God really loves everyone and sincerely desires that everyone not perish, but that he only gives life to some? And when we get to, to those of you who believe, when we get to the wedding feast of the Lamb, maybe we'll have a better understanding of that. But I don't have, that's where you bump in to letting God be God. We're going to let God be God. Do you agree with me clearly that this is a well-intentioned offer of the gospel that flows out of God's love? Is that what John 3.16 says? 
And are we going to see in these texts that we follow up just after this, that effectual calling has to come by the Holy Spirit and the Word as God gives life to sinners? Well, then if that's what the text says, that's what we hold up without demanding a resolution that would make us God. And this is what the texts say. Uh, Jesus said it very clearly in John 5.25. I tell you the truth, a time is coming and has now come. Jesus is standing there. A time is coming and it's here right now when the dead will hear, the dead hear, the dead hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. How can the dead hear? By the mighty working of the Spirit, by the power of the Son of God, who by His Word makes them live. The dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. And Jesus goes on to show that He has this authority and power by raising Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus, come out. A man who's been dead for four days lives. This is effectual calling. You write it down in your worship guide. This is what effectual calling is. And guess what? The voice of Jesus goes through you and me. What a privilege. This word goes through the church and through members of the church as we are going to the nations. And so Jesus said this in the parable that we were talking about. All alike refused, so the servants came back. Nobody's going to come to the wedding feast. What an awful thing. I have a son. I've killed a fatted calf. I have a wedding feast, but nobody's going to come? No, I'm the sovereign God. You go out to the highways and, and the hedges, to the outskirts of the city, and you, you bring, you call them, imperative, you call them all, the bad and the good alike, because my banquet will be full. And you can rest assured of this, that God's banquet will be full. And in the, in the version of that in Luke, it says you compel them to come in. And this is what happens by word and spirit. Not because anybody's better than anybody else or smarter or prettier than anybody else. It's because the spirit and the word give people life. This is how Paul says it right here in 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14. He says, We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord. Who are these people? They're, they're brothers, they're children of God, loved by the Lord. Because from the beginning, God chose you to be saved. How? Through what means? Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. How did, he, how did this happen? He called you to this through our gospel. He called you through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Thessalonians heard the word of God through messengers, the word of the gospel. The Spirit, by His sanctifying work, gave them life. And this is what Peter says about that. He, in the next text, it says, according to His great mercy, He has caused us. He has caused us. Not we causing ourselves. He has caused us to be born again. You see, this is what effectual calling does. 
The Word of God, born by the Spirit of God, gives a new heart and a new mind. The person's born again, and they confess Christ as Lord. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. And one of the things that imperishable seed means is that it's not perishable. It can't be, be lost. If you're born of God, you're born of God. That seed's not going to die. What is this seed? It's the living and enduring Word of God. Effectual calling comes by Word and by Spirit. And so, just want to ask you today again, is that you? Maybe in the last 15 minutes you've believed. That would be just grand. I would love that. Come and tell me afterwards. And then do you realize what just happened to you? The eternal God, by His Holy Spirit, reached into your heart and mind and gave you a new heart and a new mind so that you might trust in Christ. And all the glory goes to Him. Many are called, but few are chosen. And now, based on your profession of faith and repentance, you're saying, I'm one of those people who was chosen to go to the wedding feast of the Lamb. All praise and glory and honor for my seat at the table goes to Him. He gets the praise and the honor. I get the joy of being there with aged meats and fine wines and nobody who's boring and no more sin and death. The curse will be reversed on that day. And if that's you, if you've already believed that, did God do a miracle in your life? It, it doesn't seem that way, does it? Like, as I look back on it, it kind of just felt sort of pretty natural in a lot of ways. Like, there I am milling around, somebody shares the gospel with me. You know, I'm a pagan substance abuser kind of guy. I'm all over the road. I'm, you know, leading a crazy life. And you hear this gospel, and then you find yourself on your knees in a bathroom in Corpus Christi, weeping your eyes out and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And, it, you know, how did that happen? What happened by a guy from a, a Bible church sitting down and telling me about Jesus? How did it happen? It happened by the Holy Spirit taking that word and writing it in my heart and giving me a new heart and life. How did it happen to you? Maybe you were four years old and grew up in a covenant home. How did it happen to you? That's fine. You don't have to have anything dramatic going on. And so then the question is, for us, is a lot of our, is a lot of our ineffectiveness in, in gospel outreach related to defects of vision? Like we lose the wonder that the Holy Spirit is really real and that He's really alive and that He's acting. And so today, as, as sort of an application, I want to give you this challenge. You'll have to write this down in your margin because I didn't put it in, in your text. But, but if, we want to, if we want to bear down on this, I encourage you to go and read John 16, 8 and following. John 16, 8 and following. And then I want you to begin to pray that for the people around you. What does it say? It says, Jesus, this is Jesus talking. He says, when he comes, that he would be the Holy Spirit. When he comes, what will he be doing? What will he be doing? He will convict the world. Again, who's the world in the Gospel of John? Sinners in rebellion against God, generally. When he comes, he will convict the world of its guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and the judgment to come. 
to pray that and believe that God would send you. Lord, where are you sending me? My neighbors, my friends, my work associates. And let me pray and expect that the Spirit will give people life from the dead. Now, we're not a kind of a name it and claim it bunch, but it is true that, that it's hard for the Lord to work past the levels of your faith, isn't it? So this is just a call and a renewal to believe this. And then the second thing that we want to say about this is, are you in a position to set forth the truth plainly to people? I just sometimes get really bad chest pain and everything over this whole thing. I was a presbytery, and we had a guy coming for, uh, to be ordained in our denomination, stand up in front of a bunch of elders, and they ask you questions and stuff. And somebody asked this young man, like, uh, could you tell us, could you just tell us what the gospel is really quickly? And he started off by saying, well, you know, John Stott said something, and then he went on to say something oblique, and I was like twitching all over the place. It didn't have anything in it about the Son of God coming and dying for sinners, being buried and rising again on the third day. And so I, I, I didn't understand, so I had to ask him a question. I said, how does whatever you just said square with what Paul said, this is the gospel that I preach, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised to life on the third day according to the scriptures. You don't need to know a whole lot more than that. And it's a very simple thing to go to people and say, I'm inviting you to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And your, your, your past to get there, your life to get there, comes through a crucified and risen Savior. God will forgive all your sins. He'll welcome you to his feast. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. It's really quite simple in that way, right? And Paul, you go back now and read... 2 Corinthians 3 through 6. You read it and read it and read it and read it and read it. And what you find is that Paul's philosophy of ministry is, hey, listen, I'm not a real sophisticated guy. I'm not saying a whole bunch of stuff. I'm setting forth the truth plainly before men's consciences. And to some people, we're the smell of death. And to other people, we're the aroma of life. That's not my, that's not my job to decide that. And you can have confidence in effectual calling. So brothers and sisters, I, I've raised my voice a lot today. I'm not really sure why. <laughs> I realize I have. I don't want you to be hectored. I don't want you to be hectored. And I don't want you to go out here saying, oh, wow, well, I'm supposed to witness more. Can you see it's bigger and deeper than that? We want you to get this grand picture. We're all going to, to a wedding feast. Everybody who believes and God's gathering people from the nations. Who would have thought that Iran would be awash with people coming to saving faith in Christ? Who would have thought that 40 years ago? Iran is on fire. The Holy Spirit's sweeping through that place. We have this big mission. And so then it flows out of the love of God that you can know and experience by the power of the Holy Spirit that he can give you his love for other people. And you really can get your courage together. And you know what you could do? I'm just thinking about this. We could roll up little thingies, uh, little you know, invitations and put little ribbons around them. And you could just say, hey, I've come to deliver to you an invitation to the wedding feast of the Lamb. 
It's going to be a joyful occasion. So this is what we talked about today, brothers and sisters. We talked about the fact that God is issuing his general call as an invitation and command that goes to the ends of the earth. Turn to me and be saved through Christ, all you ends of the earth. And then what he does graciously, he gives us the privilege of doing that. And then we see him work effectually by his word and spirit to raise dead sinners to life and to give them saving faith. And we get to be part of the wedding feast of the Lamb. Let's pray together. Father, uh, we come to you now and we pray that as we uh, have talked about your gospel today, and Jesus, we have wanted to trumpet your work. We ask now as we come to your table, Lord, that this sermon uh, given to us in signs and seals would speak to our hearts and give us power to go to the nations. So we have your way with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.